We continue, continue our study through the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have scripture with you, open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. This morning we're going to look at the first eight verses of this chapter. And then Lord willing next week, the final eight. Let me read God's word to us. Ecclesiastes 4 verses 1 through 8. Then I looked again at all the acts of oppression which were being done under the sun. And behold, I saw the tears of the oppressed, and that they had no one to comfort them. And on the side of the oppressors was power, but they had no one to comfort them. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead, and more than the living who are still living. But better off than both of them is the one who has never existed, who has never seen the evil activity that's done under the sun. I've seen that every labor and every skill which is done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity and striving after wind. The fool folds his hand and consumes his own flesh. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind. Then I looked again at vanity under the sun. There was a certain man without a dependent, having neither a son nor a brother. Yet there was no end to all his labor. Indeed. His eyes were not satisfied with riches, and he never asked, and for whom am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? This too is vanity, and it is a grievous task. I want us to think this morning about how easy it is for us to rob ourselves of joy and pleasure. Um, you know, uh, the scripture says a cheerful countenance is good medicine. Uh, I was in a store this week. I forget now what store it was. But I just, I looked around. Everybody had on a mask. I had on mine. Everybody had on a mask. And if you look at 200 mask men, you know, basically, uh, coming at you, that's a scary, scary view. Uh, and I couldn't see anybody smile. So I couldn't see a cheerful countenance. And without that cheerful countenance, it was, it was difficult for me to smile. I remember trying to uh, get people to smile once. Patty and I visited uh, Philadelphia. And while we were in Philadelphia, um, it just amazed me uh, the lack of love. You know, Philadelphia means brotherly love. So I was expecting a lot of love. You know, I, I just expected a brother could get some love up in here, you know, kind of thing. And so I'm going down the streets of Philadelphia, and intentionally, I had a game in my mind. I said, I'm going to get people to smile at me. You know, so you're looking, you're getting focused. Here comes somebody walking right at you. You're going to make eye contact. And as soon as I get that contact, I'm going to say, good morning. You know, well, as soon as I got eye contact, they turned away as fast as they could. I'm thinking, what? Smile at me. You know, and I think I counted out of a hundred people, I only got five to return good morning back. I thought, that is just sad. And then I wondered, why do we not have a cheerful life? Is it because we don't have a cheerful heart? Is it because we're all caught up in the problems of this world? That we, we've, we've lost how to enjoy the life God's given us. 
to have joy, to find joy. And then some people don't even ask the question. Did you see it in verse 8? Let me read it to you again. Some people don't even ask the question, the end of verse 8. Ask, why am I laboring and depriving myself of pleasure? Some people don't even ask that question. Why are you robbing yourself of joy? Some people don't even know that a lot of the responsibility for joy is on us. Did you realize you're robbing yourself of joy? Why would you do that? Why would you want to go through life moping and groping without pleasure? So some people don't even stop and ask the question. Well, Solomon did ask the question. And so chapter 4 is here to answer the question. How are we depriving ourselves of joy? And pleasure. And I want us to see two of the answers that he gives us in the first eight verses this morning and next week, Lord willing, the other two. But two of the ways that we deprive ourselves of joy. Now, that should give you a little uh, encouragement. You know, you have control here, you can control to a large degree some of your joy. You're robbing yourself. A lot of times we want to blame somebody else, don't we? You want to blame your husband? You want to blame your wife? You want to blame your kids? You want to blame your parents? You want to blame your boss? You want to blame your school? I mean, lots of times we want to blame somebody. That's why my life is miserable. And yet Solomon says, no, ask the question, why are you the problem? Why are you robbing yourself, depriving yourself of pleasure? Two reasons he gives us in the first eight verses. One is, I think, dis- just discontentment with the sovereignty of God. And then the second one is personal envy. Let's look at both of them. First of all, discontentment with the sovereignty of God. Uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, I look at all the acts of oppression. And he says, you basically have two groups. You have people who are being oppressed, and then you have the oppressors. And they're both robbed of comfort. That's his point. The, the people who are being oppressed, they're not only robbed of comfort, they have tears. You can tell they have sorrow. He says, but you look at the oppressors, they have power instead of tears. But they still have no joy. They still are lacking comfort, even though they have the upper hand and this position of power. So why? Why? No pleasure, regardless of which group you fall into. You're the person with the power or you're the person without the power. Uh, Both are unhappy and both need comfort. Well, as I begin meditating on that that passage, you know, it, 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 it builds saying, you know, it'd be better off not, not just not to be here, to already be dead. Why? Well, the dead person's content. It's over. The oppression or being the oppressor. And they're content. And he says, better still would have been not to have been born if you don't get this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't exist. He's saying... We should get why we are here. 
when you're in the grave, you get it. And then, okay, yeah, I get it now. I see, and it's your fault, and you're content with it. What's, what's the source of joy? Where, where do we get comfort? It says both of these groups have no comfort. What is the source of our comfort? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You see the source of our comfort very expressly presented to us there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. So God's the source of comfort. He's the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort, who, verse 4, comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Well, that's enough. This passage is full of the comfort of God. God comes and He comforts us, and one of the ways He does that is through people He sends people to us who have had similar afflictions and He comforted them in their afflictions so that they could comfort us in our afflictions and we get comforted in our afflictions through God and them so that we can keep it going, comfort others in their affliction. But the source of it all is God. And many times we don't stop to consider God is sovereign over the afflictions, but He's also the source of all comfort in the afflictions. Why do we not have comfort? Why don't we have happiness and joy and satisfaction in the midst of oppression and afflictions? I think it's because we really are discontent with God being in charge. With God being sovereign in all circumstances. Um, What do dead people realize? Dead people realize stuff. And one of the things dead people realize, God's in charge. God's sovereign. He said there was appointed unto men once to die. And guess what? It happened. He said it was appointed unto men to die see their maker, to be judged. Guess what? It happens. Dead people know stuff. And Solomon says you could learn something. The dead people have something on us. We're, we're not resting content with God's sovereign ways. Now, I, I, I'm sure I could take a, a survey of this room and easily 90% of you, maybe 99, maybe 100% of you all believe in the sovereignty of God. I'm not asking you whether you believe it. I'm asking you, do you live it? You know God's bigger than us. You know God's in control. But do we live like it? Or do we start blaming people for our lack of joy instead of seeing the afflictions, the oppression, the different things that are around us? It's God's plan. And our problem is, I think, we just don't have, often have, a good grip on sovereignty. 
whether we live or die, God's in control. And he wants us to embrace him. He wants us to, to accept his sovereignty. And how do you do that? I'm going to give you four things here. Four, four ways that we really live the sovereignty of God. Number one, accept God's providential circumstances as your calling. Look with me at Psalm 16. Accept God's providential circumstances as your calling. Look at Psalm 16, verses 5 and 6. I still remember when this passage gripped me for the first time. I heard it from a uh, registrar at college. He was retiring after, I don't know, 30, 40 years as the college registrar. And um, somebody, we were at the retirement party or something, and someone asked him to say a few words, and he says, well, the words I'll say to you are from Psalm 16. And um, verses 5 and 6, he says, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is the lot, mine, my portion of my inheritance, my cup. And you support my lot. Verse 6, the lines, you could translate that the boundaries. If you understand, that's the way they mean the lines there. The lines or the boundaries have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful to me. What the psalmist is saying and what this man was saying in his retirement is when I look back over the 40 years of my existence... Where God has placed me, the lines that he's put around me, we all have some sort of square footage that we live on. That's our lot. That's our portion in this life. He says, when I evaluate that, God has placed me in a place of enjoyment, a place of comfort, pleasant Places. Now, how do you get there? You get there by seeing God is my portion. God is my lot. God is sovereign. He's in charge. And what he is doing in me through all of these things around me, it's good for me. Accept the calling God has given you as your lot, as your portion. None of us got to decide where we were going to be born. That was decided without us. None of us picked our own country to be born in or to be raised in. Those were God's decisions. That was the lines he put around us. Now, let's make it real practical. You were all in this room created with a gender. You were called either to be male or female. That's calling. For men to act like men, for women to act like women. And when you start thinking about God's design, He designed you either male or female. Then as we get married, then that means He's designed you either as a husband or as a wife. You have children, then He's designed children and parents. All of these are things God has designed in our life. So let me ask you. Is your wife giving you fits, men? Women, are your husbands giving you a fit right now? Children, are your parents giving you a fit? 
parents, are your children giving you a fit? Are you worried at work? Are you worried in society? Is this country giving us fits right now? See, what do we want to do? We want to immediately blame someone else. When God is saying, what's your calling? If you are a husband, you call to be a man, call to be a husband, husband your wife. Parent your children. If you are a parent, parent your children. If you are a child, be submissive to your parents. If you're a wife, be a wife to your husband. If you have a boss, be a servant to your boss. All of these things are clear in God's word. Accept God's sovereign plan and calling for you and live it. And you find when you do so, there's comfort from God. For every task that you're called to do, God is the one who comes and shows up and comforts us when we are involved in fulfilling the calling He has given to us. Have you accepted your calling? We all have callings. Those callings change from childhood to parenthood to husband, wife, boss, Employee, employer, countryman, whatever it is. Are, are we accepting of the sovereignty of God? When you're content with that, God comforts us. He directs us. Second, I want you to see not only do we need to accept God's providential circumstances for us as our calling, but I want... I think I put down here, number two, seek God's sovereignty. It, it's easier or better to say, seek first living for God and His purposes, not our own. Look at Matthew 6. Seek first living for God and His purposes, not our own. Look at Matthew 6. Beginning at verse 25. It says, for this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat and what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. I mean, that, that right, this is a difficult statement. How many of you do that? How many, how many times do I wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm not going to worry about what I put on. I'm not going to worry about what I eat or what I get to drink. You see, that's a difficult statement because those are the first things we worry about. And he says, I want you to stop that. And he goes on, he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? In other words, the birds just don't wake up like we wake up and say, okay, I got to get some, something to put on, something to eat, something to drink. They, they wake up content. God's going to take care of it. Verse 27, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed themselves like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which are, is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? So God is going to, does want us to have clothing. He says, but he's trying to get us to to recognize God first instead of us first. Verse 31, do not worry then, 
saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. And by Gentiles, he's using that uh, as a derogatory term, meaning non-Christians, people who don't embrace the sovereignty of God. Those people eagerly seek these things. But your heavenly Father, so that's the, the believer, knows that you need all these things. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Seek first God. Wake up and say, God, what are your purposes for my life today? That will determine what I need to eat and what what I need to wear. So it's not that you're not going to eat. It's not that you're not going to put on clothes. But he says, seek first God, His kingship, His righteousness, His leadership. Maybe even start your prayer instead of, dear Jesus, dear Master, dear King of kings, dear sovereign God, direct your servant. Direct me. What are your purposes for me today. Because do you begin to see if, if we are involved in God's purposes, if we're involved in God's callings, guess what? We're going to succeed. And when you're succeeding, you're having fun. There's joy. There's pleasure in life. You're doing something of significance and value. And you reach that place in life when you're seeking first God for living, His purposes, and not our own. Wrong, wrong approach will rob you of joy, success, and significance. Number three, be strengthened through seeking God's assistance in all things. Be strengthened through seeking God's assistance in all things. Over in Philippians chapter 4, a very popular passage. A lot of people quote... But get more of the context. Colossians 4, beginning at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. I mean, this is great joy for him. Now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but now you, but you lacked opportunity. Now, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Now, before he starts describing these circumstances, I've learned to be content in all of them. Remember, he's in a state of great joy. How did he get there? So happy. Verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He, he was a man who knew how to, be, to strengthen himself in Christ. Christ is the strengthener. And through that strengthening work, seeking the assistance of Christ in all things. So regardless of the circumstances, he doesn't blame the circumstances for his lack of joy. He says, there's times when I don't have anything. There's times when I'm, I'm a rich man. He says, but in either case, I'm happy. 
Because Christ, in both positions, is strengthening me. He's seeking Christ and Christ's assistance and Christ's strength, Christ's direction. Uh, and he reminds us to yield to Christ as well, uh, not crying for a better circumstance, for a better wife, for a better husband, for better kids, for a better home, for a better job, for better whatever, but crying for strength from God. God, this is my lot. This is who you made me. This is where you placed me. These are the things that surround me are your sovereignty, so strengthen me. Give me your purposes. Give me your direction so that I understand why I'm here and what I'm to do. Um, sometimes that's difficult. You know, I shared with you, I think it was last week, uh, yeah, we, we were dealing with uh, just the injustice in chapter 3, and I shared just the struggle with, with my dad right now, having COVID, being in a nursing home, having no visitation policies, and him being hard of hearing and can't answer the phone. and just It's just a difficult situation. And a number of the, our covenant kids prayed that I would get to visit my dad this week. And uh, so thank you for that. And God answered that prayer. Um, we were able to knock on his window and get a nurse to raise the blinds and uh, talk through the glass uh, that way. But even before dad was in that condition, he's now been in a hospital bed for two months. Why? Where's the fun in that? Where's the joy in that? And I was talking with him about life and this nursing home existence. I said, you've got to, to, to see God's plan. You've got to see God's purposes. Why are you in this hospital bed for two months? Maybe to give somebody a job and making hospital beds. I don't know. Maybe in giving a nurse a job. Maybe in being an encouragement to a nurse and a doctor. Maybe in keeping the food chain working. There are lots of reasons once you stop and dwell on it. God, why am I here right now? What's the purpose? And once you begin to see the purposes and see God's plan in that, then you pray through it. God, direct me to encourage those around me, to minister to those around me, to give you praise for all of these afflictions that are in my life. And instead of complaining, you begin to be a person who begins just swell up with joy. My life, my lot, my portion is God, and He's filling me in this place, even in this bed, to minister to others. When life is most difficult, we can think about so many situations. You say, I'd rather be than that situation. And yet, God strengthens us, assists us, so that in all things, we're content and we rejoice greatly. Number four, hope in the advantage. Hope in the advantage of that contentment. Once you start resting in that contentment, hope in that advantage. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. It's a passage perhaps not quoted nearly enough just to get the, the vision of it. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 8. But godliness 
actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. All right, so we're not taking anything. There's, you never see the, the U-Haul hooked up to the hearse. We leave this world with nothing. So what we do here is what matters. He says, and godliness matters. Pleasing God matters. Pleasing God with contentment matters more. Because then you have a life of joy and happiness. So I'm content, God, to do it your way. To live for you. To follow you. And it doesn't deprive us of pleasure. Who's depriving us of pleasure? We are when we're not embracing God's sovereignty. All of these points I'm giving you, you, you begin to see, all of them relate to God's sovereign and I'm not. And as I embrace that, really begin to live that, accept God's providential circumstances, seek God first, get strengthened in God for His purposes, there's great gain, there's joy. We rob ourselves if we are not living the sovereign life. That's why Christians are so much happier than the non-believer, because it we understand the sovereignty of God and embrace it. I encourage you, quit depriving yourself of pleasure. Begin living the sovereignty of God. Second, we rob ourselves of pleasure not only through discontentment, but we rob ourselves of pleasure through envy. Uh, verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 4 it says, I've seen that the, every labor and every skill which done is the result of rivalry between a man and his neighbor. This too is vanity. It's striving after win. Um, and then it goes to the other end. So you're either trying to get more. You want to get more than your neighbor. You want to one-up your neighbor. You want to at least catch up with your neighbor. There's some sort of rivalry going on. You are envious of your neighbor. Or you just fold your hands. You just are lazy, verse 5. And do nothing. Envious of the person who doesn't have to work. Who doesn't have to strive. Who doesn't have to, to push forward so hard to get ahead. Says, Whichever direction you go, it's because of envy. And you're losing your joy simply through envy. Wanting to keep up or wanting to get... Uh, rest and a life of ease. And he gives us old um, kind of Proverbs, verse 6. One handful of rest is better than two fists full of labor and striving after wind. It's, it's like that old adage, uh, a bird in the hand is uh, better than two in the bush, so to speak. We won't be content with what we've got. We're always envious of a little bit more. He says what we need is to have balance of rest and labor. That's kind of the point of verse 6. Having this balance between the two. We work, but we also add rest to it. It's, it's like the Sabbath day. God has designed us to need days of rest. Need time to regroup and understand what's going on. And then he mentions verse 7 and 8. Uh, 
this person who's, who's working to gain, 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 and he has nobody to give it to. He has no son, no brother. Those would be the first heirs. No wife. Nobody to give it to. He's just working to get rich, and he doesn't even ask. Why, why, why is he robbing himself of pleasure? Why do we do this? Why do we live life in such a way that we rob ourselves of pleasure? Obviously, God wanted us to have a certain degree of happiness. Jesus comes and says in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I want you to have life. I want you to have an abundance of life. Jesus' prayer for us in John 15, he says, he said, I want you to learn to abide in me so that your joy would be made full. He wants us to experience joy. And, and, and we rob ourselves of joy when we're discontent with his control and when we envy things that he didn't design for us to have or live life way out of balance, striving for more and more for ourselves and not thinking, even asking and that process, how we're robbing ourselves of pleasure. Do you view every day as a gift? Do you wake up with God on your mind? God, this day is a gift from you. This air that I breathe is from you. What's your purpose? Do you view every dollar you earn as a gift? Lord, this dollar is a gift from you. I wouldn't have earned it if it had it not been your grace. What portion is yours? What do you want me to do with it? Does he want you to earn another dollar? Does he want you to rest? What's the right balance of that? And God gives us all these answers in his word. God gives us direction. The point here is how frequently we rob ourselves of the joy of living simply because our, we're envious and we're discontent with God's design and plan. Did you know you were robbing yourself of joy? You know, most people don't. They come to counseling. Do you know you're the, fault? You're the problem? You're robbing yourself of pleasure? That you really haven't come to grips with God's sovereignty and his plan. And you really are envious. And you really aren't pursuing it. Life God's way. Some of you didn't know that. You didn't know that you were the problem. So I just encourage you to let that soak in a little bit. Because when, it, when you do, you can say, God... I'm sorry. I'm the one who's a mess. I messed up. I was making life all about me. As though I created myself. As though I was self-made. And I get to make all the shots. The only shots I'm making, it seems to be, is robbing myself of pleasure. And life could be a lot more fun and a lot more joyous, even under affliction. Even under oppression. Remember chapter 3 was how to live when life's not fair. He's continuing that theme. Life's not fair. There's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of oppression. 
And you're going to have joy even in those times if you quit robbing yourself of being content with God's sovereignty. And if you quit robbing yourself of pleasure through envy. Let's pray together. Father, it's so easy for us to get off track. We wake up and we immediately think about our own food and drink and clothing. And yet you bid us to seek you first. Father, we don't want to live like the world. We want to live the enlightened life where Christ is the light of our life and our heart and our portion and our cup and our joy and our strength. Forgive us, Lord, for being so envious of someone else's ways in life, so discontent with your choices for us that we've deprived ourselves of all joy. Father, let the cheerful countenance, which is good medicine, again radiate from the people of God. Let the church again be the light and life of the world. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.